No Directions Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage is brought to you by Roll for Combat's new Fall of Plaguestone Pathfinder 2e actual play podcast. Featuring Stephen Glicker, Jason McDonald, Rob Tremarco, and No Directions own Lauren Sig and Vanessa Hoskins. Find it and other Pathfinder and Starfinder podcasts, interviews, and reviews at RollForCombat.com. No Direction presents our Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. We'd like to thank our seminar team, Lauren Sieg, James Ballad, Vanessa Hoskins, and me, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. We'd also like to thank Peyton Smith from Paizo for helping getting this produced. This content and more great seminar coverage, as well as Pathfinder and Starfinder content, is available at NoDirectionPodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Diversity in Gaming. My name is Linda Zayas Palmer, and I am an organized play developer at Paizo, so I work on Pathfinder Society Adventures and Pathfinder Adventure Card Society Adventures. I'm Lou Pelazar. I'm an editor. Um, I work on everything. <laughs> uh, I'm James Case. I'm also an editor, and I also work on pretty much everything. Hi, I'm Luis Loza. I'm a developer for Pathfinder. So um, to get us started off here today, I'd like to start with a question for all of us up here. Um, when we say that the game setting and its characters are diverse, what does that mean to you? Start for everyone's <laughs> looking at me. Uh, <laughs> I, I think what that really means to me is that whoever decides to pick up our books or play our games will f- see themselves at some point mm-hmm. in, in our content. Uh, just, you know, it, it has ideally every possible experience and walk of life uh, available inside of the. I, uh, I think that's pretty much the same thing. You want as many different things on the page or in your story as you can. It uh, kind of gives everybody an opportunity to be seen, and it also just makes for a more enriching setting with more cool stuff in it. Mm -hmm. You can see characters who you relate to represented in the setting, and that you can build characters that you relate to and see that they are in the world. And they're not just in the world, but they're in the world, and they are complex, rich characters who who have positions of power and who matter and who impact things and who shape the world. I mean... People kind of covered it pretty much that. And I do think just to add to that is you ideally also want to have multiple instances of any given identity or Mm -hmm. thing on the page. Um, I'm from Hawaii. I am not the only person from Hawaii in the world. So (laughs) it's kind of cool if you have multiple people representing an identity, you can have diversity not just of experiences in a broad form, but but within that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... um, what do you, so if we do already touch a bit on what my next question here is about the <laughs> benefits including diverse characters and stories. So um, what's your favorite example of diversity in a game that you played or worked on or an adventure, whether it's a character or something about the campaign setting? How does that, how does that kind of resonate with you? Um, well, my favorite thing is kind of boring, I guess. Um, just the fact that Sila is a lesbian kind of like blew my mind and I was like, yes, because she's like my favorite iconic. So I was like, it's me. I'm a brown lesbian person. So I was like, that's Sila's so awesome. <laughs> I know I love her so much. <laughs> so I know I ask a favorite question when I myself, uh, when I'm asked a favorite question, I'm like, oh gosh, favorites. Um, <laughs> but um, one of the things that I was really excited about and um, He's one of the characters that's up here on the, the cycling uh, the cycling thing. You'll see a half-orc with a 
with a husky over there, and that is a venture captain in the Pathfinder Society, and he's a deaf venture captain, and that is his guide dog. So it was really awesome to be able to say, hey, you know what? I love how he's got like the glyph of the open road, the symbol of the Pathfinder Society on the on the guide dog harness. Yeah. <laughs> and when you when you see him when you see him in the adventure, it's just like the, the husky nudges him. And it's like, oh yeah, Pathfinders are here. Right, right. There he is, right over there on the uh, right over there on the right. Yeah. But um, in general, though, with the um, with the leadership of Pathfinder Society, um, where it started in the beginning, it was very you know, straight, white, man, heavy. Mm -hmm. So we've really been taking a look at that and seeing, okay, what is the representation here? And whenever we're bringing in new people, we're looking to help improve that balance. Right. And, um, and also looking at when we have um, people who are presented as leaders who are acting in a way that is, is not appropriate, acting in a way that we don't want to see um, or we don't want to see being held up or glorified saying, all right, you know what, let's do an adventure where they're not around anymore and that's <laughs> caused some problems because they're off doing this thing and we need to go and replace them. Right, and right. when we replace them, then we'll, we'll do better next time. Um, I have not so much as favorite character, but there is a thing that I really like in P2 that we've done. Um, previously in Pathfinder 1, we had the Madness Domain. It came in a lot with our very kind of like Elder Mythos type of stuff. And to just kind of get a better read on this and not to fall into the um, sort of bad mental health gives you superpowers mm -hmm. uh, trope quite so much. Uh, we did a lot of rearranging. I believe uh, Liz and Lou were really. Speaking that, Liz Liddell yeah. is also the senior editor. And we sort of split it into something called like the Nightmare Domain. Which has a lot of touches on a lot of the same themes of like loss of control, um, weird perception. Uh, we also have something we did with the delirium domain where we tried to make it very um, neutral in how kind of altered states of perception really are not inherently good or bad; they're just a thing. Mm -hmm. So I really like that we're you know trying to move in that direction of you know these tropes are cool; they can be accessed in ways that still give you the cool game benefits you want to use with them. But we're the way we're framing them is a lot. Know, hopefully in a way that doesn't equate uh, right, right. you know mental health and basically having cool magic powers. yeah and another another one that that i really appreciate seeing in there too is not just saying oh well the villain did this because they're crazy yeah, exactly. and we don't need to say anything else it's like they're a person right don't just don't just throw out a, a, a you know don't just throw out a disability or a mental health condition and say well that's just the reason for whatever right right uh, I'm always a fan. It's just every single time it comes up, it's fun and exciting to see. Of any uh, women who are clad in like super cool armor and look like they're ready to kick butt, it's just awesome to see every single time. I have a younger sister uh, who's still pretty young. I mean, she's 16, uh, and just knowing that I'm putting, helping put stuff out there for to inspire her and and you know give her yeah. what I think are positive role models is just always mm -hmm. fun. So like. Kick butt women, yes. Keep adding more of that. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of some of the things that we like to see, and we did we did get into this a little bit, but in turn, what do you think are some of the, the biggest pitfalls that people fall into when they're first starting to include diversity into the games? Uh, I think it's very easy to fall into the uh, pit of tokenism. I got one black person and we're done. That's yeah. it. You Legit. know, let's move on to the next one. Diversity when, acquired. <laughs> when, no. when you can 
and it's it's an ongoing thing. You have to keep working on, on that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. And we we want to represent as many people as we can, but also in various different uh, roles. We want both our great, amazing black heroes, but we also want black villains, you know, to just because it, it it can lead into this weird thing where we put the minorities and, and other marginalized groups into they're always the good guys they can never be bad guys and then you know that that, that can almost sometimes be just as bad so you know making sure that they're expansive active characters in all aspects of the world yeah. is pretty important realistic in that sense i think one of my pet peeves is fetishizing and using stereotypes and stuff to make diverse characters like they kind of don't educate themselves on the culture that they're trying to represent and therefore end up kind of falling flat because they stereotypes or something like that and it's just like ooh, you can't say that like, yeah. that's, that's not good exactly. <laughs> you're trying but let's let's not do that so whenever uh, patterns or flavors are described yeah. yeah. Oh my God, that's my least favorite word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Speaking of buzzwords not to use, yeah. um, let's um, see. Well, what what other what other words do we make sure that we never use? We try like, not to uh, describe people using food as yeah, like color. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, descriptions of skin tone or hair texture that have, for whatever reason, have kind of been locked in on. Um, food is a big one. Yeah. You know, <laughs> describing people as shades of food. It's also yeah. just, I'm like, that's just Very weird. Fet- not like fetishy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And usually only happens with dark-skinned people and brown people, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, no. I mean, you're not going to crack up an adventure and be like, her mayonnaise-colored skin. <laughs> I did see that. The color of raw chicken breasts. <laughs> um, I think another thing that is easy to fall into is, especially here, a lot of what we do is fantasy or sci-fi. And this comes up a lot with fantasy specifically in that a lot of the genre roots are rooted in a much earlier sense of uh, racial identity. Um, this comes a lot. This comes up a lot with you can kind of just say the elves did this a lot of the time. And um, a really good strategy we have for that is always just say the humans instead. If you describe, because like a lot of these fantasy races, like we still use the word race. That's kind of the industry standard word to describe, you know, your elves, your dwarves, that kind of thing. And in many cases, they have been used as a proxy for real world, you know, human racial groups. So in that sense, even though you're talking about, you know, like a magical fairy creature that has lived for hundreds of years, you are, there is a bit of that connection there. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, you kind of want to treat all of your Know, sapient creatures that have human human level intelligence and agency and moral stuff as basically as if they were human. So mm-hmm. um, we recently in an adventure path I was working on, we realized that we had uh, said a character was a gnome and the art came in and the character is a human and we weren't going to order more art. So we were like, that's cool. This character can be human. That's fine. So I went through and I was changing all the references from gnome to human. And that led to things like we're gonna get that human, or, the, or it's like the, or it's like, you know, he stared at the human, and I was like, oh, that that really does sound very bizarre, yeah. doesn't it? You know how humans are; all humans are the same. Yeah, they're all and, so whimsical. Yeah, oh, you know how I feel about whimsical gnomes. So let's just leave that there. And then the other thing is, um, when talking about national groups, uh, a lot of the times they say like, the the Nidalees did this thing. Just sub in the word Americans. 
You said like, the Americans came in here and did this. You're like, oh, that's maybe a sign that I could phrase this in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. Um, another thing is kind of going back to the, the food things is animal descriptions mm-hmm. for people. Mm-hmm. Like, complicated one, maybe I should. <laughs> so the word hermaphroditic is not something that is used for sapient people. Like the intersex community themselves don't like that term at all. And unfortunately, a lot of people just kind of don't think about that um, because, I mean, they just look in the dictionary like, well, the word hermaphroditic is in the dictionary and that's what it means. But it's like not necessarily good, <laughs> I guess, and that's, that's, <laughs> to put it lightly. And that's also yeah. a good example of um, a lot of the writing coming from like much earlier usage of terminology right, right. because I used to work in um, medical writing and editing. And like that term has also been disavowed by most of the medical writing, but it's mm. not like most people don't know what the state of the of the industry is on you know any of these subjects so like getting back to you know doing your research when you're trying to represent or ideally also having you know people of that background Mm -hmm. read through it and what you just said there about having people of that background read through so important because a lot of times you know there's only so much that you can do to research um to research these sort of things and also if you are trying to do research about a, about a group that you don't belong to, reading real experiences from people who do belong yeah, to that exactly. group and hearing mm-hmm. from their own voices how they want to be portrayed, how they want to be represented, <laughs> and what their lives are like. Right. I very much recommend that over just looking up a word in the dictionary to see yeah. if it's okay. <laughs> also, the reason I brought up hermaphroditic is because it's used for animals, not sentient people. <laughs> so I should clarify that. Yeah. And I mean, that's even just true. We have that in just editing regardless of... Uh, looking at diversity specifically, but there is only so much that one person can kind of hold in their mind Mm -hmm. as they're going through that. And so even within the editing pit, you know, we're passing things back and forth because we've all, there's about, there's seven or eight of us now. And so we've all lived very different experiences. And sometimes people bring up something where, uh, sometimes say, I think that this is uh, a little misogynistic. And I'm just like, I have no context. I have never lived as a woman. You know, I'm cisgender. I don't get this. I will pass on this, somebody else can do it because mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable making right. or making those value calls on them. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that um, within Paizo we will we will ask each other if we know that there's someone else in the company who represents a group that we ourselves don't represent. And we also um, we also hire diversity consultants if none of us are qualified to speak to a certain topic. Or another thing that we do is we um, we look to hire diverse authors. So if we know that a, a topic is touching on a subject that none of us has experience in, but we can hire someone to write it in the first place who does have that experience, then we can work with them to make sure that the content is going to be appropriately representative. So, um, so we're talking. We've talked about um, characters who belong to, you know, a group that could be to a group that could be marginalized. But what about a what about characters who belong to multiple marginalized? Concept of intersectionality. How does that affect what you do in your work? <laughs> Everyone looks at me. Well, you you did do this. So. You, 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 yeah, well, I, I looked over there, and then and then they were like. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you guys go first. <laughs> <laughs> Luis? <not> <laughs> well, I mean, it's a lot of the same tactics that you want to follow with um, dealing with any 
kind of group whatsoever. It's just knowing that you have to take additional steps along the way. Uh, if you're dealing with you know, people who are black, cool, you take steps there, but suddenly if you're dealing with black women, there's a lot more going on there. And then if you're dealing with black transgender women, then there's you know, so many steps you have to take and there's so much you have to learn. At, at that point, you have to realize that it's very, very easy to uh, be way out of your league on things. And, and that's when you know, speaking with other groups and people who have uh, experience with those backgrounds or, or working with that kind of stuff is the perfect time to do that. Um, and just because something like that can be tougher to work with does not mean you should avoid working on that. In mm -hmm. fact, make sure to be reaching out into those greater depths of, of intersectionality to, to get as many people as you can. Just because something is tough does not mean we shouldn't be trying it whatsoever. And I mean, that just gets back to the idea of sort of diverse in its like most dictionary definition. Um, there are lots of different kinds of people out there, and people are more than one thing. So just really by dint of that, you know, that's how you have people who belong to multiple backgrounds. So it's really just the same thing that you've been doing. It's trying to represent as many different kinds of identity people and thought and all that. In terms of editing, I kind of clearly take a lot of those boxes and have lived a lot of those different experiences. Um, so in editing, I kind of have an eye for it, but in not to toot my own horn, like I'm still learning. Like I still don't know that much about like the black experience. Like even though I'm half black, I was raised by my Filipino mother. So I kind of like, I'm still learning all that kind of stuff. So it's a learning experience, no matter who you are. <laughs> yeah. And that's sort of getting back to Luis's point. I think that it's, you know, while you should be striving to do as best as you can, it is okay to accept that. I think, you know, this is, a, we're always learning more about that'll just make us better writers. And um, in general, for, for most cases, when we're looking at what we've said in the past for Pathfinder Canon, we generally keep that consistent going into the future. But one major exception to that is if we find something that's, that's been written in the past that's really problematic, then we will go ahead and revise that, whether we say, no, that's, that's not the thing, that's not what it has ever been, or whether we say, like, that's how it was, but this was a problem, and now we're going to fix it. Um, that's definitely something that we that we look at. Yeah. But what if you are looking at a published adventure or some kind of game gaming material, and you see something that um, you see something that is that may have problematic elements, or maybe it's just not diverse? Um, what kinds of strategies can you use when you're approaching that material? I think if something has already been published and it's out, you know, you can't change it. It's out there. Mm -hmm. So I think the best thing you can do is then demonstrate in future projects going on yeah. that you're willing to grow and to accept more things. You know, screwed up in the past. It's mm -hmm. not it's not great, but if you I think make an effort to improve on that in future products, that can help to mm -hmm. both show that you're willing to learn and also to just generate those products out there that you out there you know, anyways. I also think I also think it's important to try to keep people accountable yeah. uh, mm -hmm. it's very easy for I mean even us as publishers to publish something not realize it's a problem at all and just keep doing it and if we don't keep ourselves accountable first and foremost but if other people aren't calling things out and letting us know then there's no way for us to obviously know about these things and fix it so 
internally we try to you know point out things whenever we can mm -hmm. or if we catch it after the fact they'll bring it up so we know for the next time but even within like the gaming sphere if you see other publishers content that you have issues with you should let them know ideally in this situation they they realize their mistake learn from it and try to fix it right. but mm -hmm. even on the, the the micro level of within your own game if, if people are doing things that you feel are, are, are hurtful problematic or anything like that calling out players mm -hmm. is very important mm -hmm. calling out your gm is very important it, yeah again it's very possible that, that this is just blind spots for particular people mm -hmm. but it, it can't be fixed until they're being yeah. brought attention to right and I, I do prefer to both just personally and sort of i think best practice for industries of people you work with too um unless you see like a pattern of like a real pattern of behavior um, to just assume that maybe people let something slip by but basically to not assume malice right. uh, unless you've mm -hmm. like really seen like a hard um, <laughs> you know evidence for that because i think while we do want to hold people accountable we also want to allow people to have the opportunity to go mm -hmm. and i think um the reality of sort of human psychology is that if you hard call somebody out on it it can often cause people to be or to double down mm. and like mm -hmm. we're not most of the time we're not trying to punish people yeah, we're, we're trying to you know foster growth and more awareness yeah, and awareness think, over accusation exactly yeah. and so yeah. i think in that context i would usually i think if something came up i would try to reach out privately first um just because that sort of keeps the information flow a lot more personal mm -hmm. and try to be like so this is the issue um this is what other people have said i want to bring this up and just sort of assume like going forward I think that also that's why, I mean, this is good for any writing, but any sort of good uh, feedback circuit from between writers and developers and editors is always really good just to keep everybody constantly learning from each other. Right, right. Uh, if something like that is brought up to you, be it at your table or publication, whatever the case might be, just know that whoever brought that up is under no obligation to help you fix that problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it's already a lot of work to bring up stuff like that. Um, if the person is willing, you know, you can definitely ask. They are free to decline, but it, it's really up to whoever's issue this is in the first place to kind of do the work on getting that fixed. So mm -hmm. just don't expect that if someone calls you out on it, they also will, will do the work of, of telling you why it's wrong and what you need to do to fix it next time. So yeah, right. Like and also, if you if you do get called out, like, you know, keep in mind that it was probably pretty challenging for that person to tell you mm -hmm. that there was an issue in your game. So um, making sure that they feel comfortable with you and that you're not making like this giant production of like, oh my gosh, everybody, this person is super offended when I do this thing. Like you, you, you don't wanna do that. You wanna, you want to you know, listen to whatever they want to tell you, whatever they have to say, and then work and then, you know, do your own research on your own time to improve in that area for next time around. Do you have something? Um, I just wanted to give you a chance, but yeah. So, um, so when you're jamming published adventures too, um, generally looking at them, like you can make them more diverse when you run them as well. Yeah. You know, there, if there's if there's a guard captain and uh, and you know you notice like, oh, sure, every single one of the people in this guard is a man. Like, that guard captain can be a woman. That's yeah, that, that that guard captain can have any gender you want. You can you can change things around too with those NPCs. Those sorts of things. Like it's very rare that 
there's going to be a story that hinges upon a specific part of an NPC's identity. And if it doesn't, then you can change that. Mm -hmm. And especially in the context of tabletops where the story is very like PC driven anyways. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it, that's actually kind of lucky in that regard because um, the narratives are constructed at the table by the people playing them. So the NPCs there are very much, I don't want to say background characters, but you know, they are, they are in some way secondary to them. So a lot of times you can change it just as how if your table was a joking around group, you could, you would try to run it with a little more humor. If everybody likes it when things are serious, you would, you know, turn on some spooky music and turn the lights off and <laughs> put on your, your scary GM voice. So it's, it's really very much the same. That was the pre. That was the list of officially pre-prepared questions that I had here. So, um, do we have questions from Twitch on this now before we before we continue? The audience, or, or from, from the, the audience. audience? Hello, audience. All right, actually. Um, so what would you recommend to authors and artists for? So, be giving an assignment to make. A I don't know anyone from that. What would you recommend they do as like a? Before we start with any of these answers, I just want to say that. Um, just because we're up here doesn't mean we are the end-all, be-all force of, Experts of all everything. Oh, yeah. So we, we'd love to answer your questions and help out, but just know that please continue to try to learn and listen from everyone as, as best as you can. But uh, I think asking for things like that about freelancing, uh, I mean, just like we try to do in, internally when it comes to our products is just learn and understand things as best as you can and as much as you can do as much research as possible if that means reaching out to other people then then so be it um, it could also you know just mean cracking open books watching videos you know yeah. doing as, as best as you can there we live in a you know we live in very interconnected times uh, i see a lot of times people on social media on twitter or something just being like hey i'm looking for authors from this background for a project if you're interested hit me up and I think that uh, it's easier than ever to sort of reach out now and I right. think that's a mm -hmm. good resource you can have. I think it's also good in many cases to have your flow of information not just be like your one author or your one artist to the developer or producer but oftentimes creating some sort of network that allows them to talk to each other mm -hmm. and expand your network a lot. So maybe the artist doesn't know anybody from that and maybe doesn't, but maybe one of the other artists on the project does. Yeah. And so by mm -hmm. creating more of a network here, you you know you multiply your connections. You can get a better chance of reaching out to somebody who might be able to answer those questions. Yeah, and I mean you can always ask the person who you're working on the project with. So like a Paizo, you could ask your developer to help you find resources as well. Yeah. Uh, it's it's also possible that you may be out of your depth with whatever the project comes <laughs> for you. Uh, <laughs> if you don't think you are comfortable with doing something like that, or you don't think you'll be able to meet the, the quality and, and consideration that is needed for something like that, feel free to turn that down or, or say, I, I don't think I, I'm the best person for this. If I'm sorry to say, but you know, let's try someone else. It, it's happened to me. I, I've, I've assigned work to people who are great freelancers, do great work. And I was told, actually, no, I think you should go with someone else that I know. And if they know someone, that's great. But if not, that's up to you to, if you know someone, you can you know recommend it, if not. But it's, it's fine if you don't have uh, the experience or the qualifications or even just the confidence to work on something like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And if we get feedback like that, you know, don't worry that 
that the person who assigned you that is going to be like, oh, no, well, they turned that down. I guess we're not going to give them something else. No, that's something that, like, (laughs) that kind of of self-awareness shows a lot of respect. It shows a lot of professionalism, and it really speaks well to you as an author, and that's the kind of thing that we would then talk to each other most. Like, oh, well, I couldn't have this person on this project because they recognized that they, you know, they weren't confident in their ability to represent this group, but, you know, do you have something else that maybe we could get? Right, right. I have another question, uh, or rather a question from Twitch. Dungeon Novice asks, uh, it feels like a bit of divergence, but who is that colorful gnome, and where can I find out more about her? <laughs> referring to the one with the fantastic flowery yeah, her hair. Her hair is great. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so uh, I can answer that specifically. Uh, so the one of our products lines that is new with second edition is the Lost Omens World Guides, which kind of cover our campaign setting material. And... The second one coming out in October is the Lost Omens Character Guide, where we cover the different ancestries in our world, the core ancestries in our book, humans, goblins, dwarves, elves, things like that, including our gnomes. And one thing that I kind of had a thinking point with our setting was it's very easy to say, oh, I'm a human who is Varician or who is Talden or, or who is Kellish. You know, you have all these different groups of ethnicities within the humans and then I'm a dwarf yeah that's it I I don't have anything like that so I I, we were trying to work on expanding to an equivalent of ethnicities and different groups for the the other ancestries and our gnomes in particular uh, have different uh, groups here and that is the art from that book where you can meet some of the four different uh, groups there so we're showing you cool art early because a we think it's cool and b because it uh, you know it speaks to the point we're trying to make. But I also just want to kind of branch off on that. If, for instance, um, your non-human uh, races like your elves or your dwarves all represent types of historically they have been all based off of white humans only, that is sort of saying that white is the default um, and. You don't really want to say that you know there is um if we're realizing these other races and ancestries as being human level in their diversity we want to show that too so we have here we have black dwarf yeah yeah like him uh we have like the ekuje who are our dwarf our dwarf, our <laughs> elves that live in our essentially in the Mwangi, which is our version of africa and that kind of thing too um so basically if they are human level we want to kind of show diversity in that as well so uh, short answer, though, you're seeing uh, art that we haven't released yet. Yeah. That's it. Uh, it's from buy, a cool book. Buy that book. <laughs> yeah. Buy a book. Luis knows plenty about that book. Yeah. But yeah, I did literally have someone ask me a few years back, like, is it okay if I play an elf who is black? Galarian. And that, that moment was it's just like... It's your character. Play whatever you want. It's eye-opening, though. We have not done something right. Yeah, yeah. We, we want to avoid people having to question that. We want it to be obvious that, oh, yeah, there's black dwarves and, and there are uh, Middle Eastern elves and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Or at least people that look that, that, that way as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. Um, so it looks like... Uh, in gaming, like we're getting better with diversity, of, like skin tones mm-hmm. and um, stuff like that. But it still seems like there aren't really a lot of characters with like disabilities. Right, and so yeah. I was just wondering what y'all have to say about that, or right, like right. how it can get better. That is definitely a thing that we are still working hard to do. I mean, I feel like it's a pretty big blind spot for us at yeah. that point. Yeah. I, I mean, it took us. I don't know, like eight or nine years in first edition to get wheelchairs 
it's like, oh, here's how much it costs to buy a wheelchair. Great. Yeah. You know, we just didn't have anything like that. So, I mean, part of that, I think a lot of people make the argument that, oh, well, they can't go adventuring because you can't bring a wheelchair. Or whatever. It's like, no, that's people can fly people are and shoot lasers dragons, out of their like. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it's definitely something that we're working more towards. And, and another thing is uh, kind of the unseen disabilities that are something that we want to bring about as well. Uh, one exciting aspect of the, the setting that we recently brought in uh, was expanding on one of the deities from Tiansha, uh, Sukio, who is very much a patron of, of uh, people who have uh, mental health issues and, and, and are dealing with that, and you know, people who are um, a uh, what's the word? A neurodivergent. Thank you. Yes. Um, so you know, we, we're trying to to work on it. That's really the case with a lot of things. We're trying to work on it. Yeah. We yeah. we would definitely definitely need more artwork of that kind of yeah, stuff to, sure. to prove that. So um, I yeah. That, um, pivot off the character that you were describing earlier mm -hmm. um, has a thing where he uh, it, he's a venture captain right? so yeah. he can do adventuring things Simon, mm -hmm. um, especially in a world where you know in fantasy or there science fiction kind of we have this sort of anything is possible mindset and uh, we are already doing a make-believe world. We are already suspending our disbelief of the real world when we say, like, and there's dragons and evil magic skeletons. <laughs> and so if we're making up a make-believe world, why don't we, like, make one up where it's, you know, better than our world in that yeah. sense, you know? So, but as to the specific point of disability, that is a thing that I think has uh, a little bit fallen by the wayside in the past. Yeah, you know, sure. So trying to make progress, that sort of thing, it does just come back to inclusion. Uh, a specific thing that comes up a lot in the sort of crunchy tactic stuff we do is like we have conditions like blinded or dazzled or like deafened and we really want to avoid conflating people who have lived with these disabilities for long term and who for whom it's a part of their identity with the mechanical condition that happens when you know a flashbang goes off mm -hmm. in your square right right um there's also stuff you can do with adopting uh again like language from medical sensitivity uh, about a generation ago, it was seen as compassionate to say the word like the people who suffer from a given condition because it was seen as being as acknowledging their plight. Um, that has uh, since developed into just saying don't say people suffer from things because it implies that their life is pain, which is not what we want to say. All true. <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> describing things, uh, we had a character in an upcoming adventure path who. Uh, had an arm amputated in her childhood due to something about demons, I want to say. Um, and it described her, and the line that we had originally was saying that she has an artificial limb that functions as well as her normal limb or something. And so even in there, the, the intent is good. Right? The intent is saying that she's capable. Um, and so applying some sort of the sensitivity things there. And said, we just said she has a prosthesis, that's the technical term for the device. And we say that um, she that she can use to do you know that she can use to um, do what we change but she what can yeah, but she can use it to do all of her daily tasks with and that kind of thing and so in that way it also focuses on what she can do not not comparing it to in a perceived loss so um, I think looking outside of just games for stuff like that um, newspaper publishing guidelines are a really good point. Uh, medical guidelines are a really good point, especially for disability. Um, but we are not learning how to do this in the vacuum of gaming. There are other sections of publication that are all also working on these issues, and we can be learning from them. 
I think it's also important to not think of disability and mental illness as something that needs fixed or something that is a problem, like something that you like, oh, this person, oh, they're deaf, they must want to have a healing spell put on them. It's like, no, that's their, like, their culture. They've lived that life. They don't necessarily need to be healed. It's them. It's part of their identity. So it's another thing that we like to keep eyes out for in editing, at least, like mm -hmm. making sure that we're not stigmatizing those things and saying that they're bad. Or like that you have, not. To, you have to recover from this. You exactly. You have to fix this or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, Personally, I've had quite a few struggles with depression and anxiety in my life, and they have they've shaped me. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like that's something that I have to find some magic button to get rid of. I see that there have been advantages to having these as well as disadvantages. So that's why some of this, this mental health stuff does, does resonate for me in particular. I think um, just to piggyback on that, the specific secure that you brought up, mm -hmm. Uh, who has a lot of neurodivergent things, I think the focus there is that he focuses on treatment for people who want, who yeah, want treatment. exactly. <laughs> and for people who don't want or feel that they need to change, he's like, cool, we'll go do moon and jade stuff because he's, that's the other stuff he's not doing. <laughs> right. Um, but I think it mentions that his temples tend to be, have like quiet spaces for people to be alone, that sort of thing. So in that case, it's also focusing on agency of the person. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's a pretty safe place to go to. Focusing on what people can do and people doing, pursuing what it is that they want for themselves. Right. I think is a pretty safe place to return to. Yeah. Not necessarily that, like, it's something that you cannot fix, you know? Like, if you want to, like, I take yeah. <laughs> depression medication, like, mm -hmm. it's part of my identity, but also I would like to not. <laughs> like, it's, it's normal to do either thing, like, yeah. what, like what James was saying, so. Um, does anyone have any other questions? Yes. Hi. Oh, hi. Oh, hey, is, is that one on? No, I'm really good at projecting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's for Twitch. Just talking into the mic. Okay. Sure. We can hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Hi, I'm Danny. Hi, Danny. Hi, Danny. Nice to meet you. So, I was wondering. I'm wondering, do you topics? Oh, okay. Oh, that's okay. okay. Uh, the question was. How are we working as a company to try to expand that network of people to to help us out with inclusion and diversity issues? And, and, and to acknowledge that one person does not represent the sum total of any given experience. I mean, one thing I've even done recently is just put out open calls that, hey, are you a person from such and such background or such and such experience? Come chat with us. We'll, we want to hear from you. And it could be that, uh, you know, I, I put out a, a thing for Latinx uh, writers recently, writers and developers and whatnot, uh, and every single one of them that I came back was completely different. It was a, a completely unique person. Obviously, yes, look, it's obviously a, a big background, and even uh, just you know, the 30 or so people that, that got back with me was, was uh, great. Uh, unfortunately, our schedule as for publication makes it so it's kind of hard to have more than one, you know, uh, person who is doing uh, uh, sensitivity reading or anything like mm -hmm. that at a given time, but we do have several people that we know, hey, this person is a good fit for such and such subject, mm -hmm. uh, but we also have other contacts that if we know that maybe this person isn't the best fit or they tell us they're not the best fit on this, they, we can work mm -hmm. from there. Uh, so having a company of 70 odd people means we have a lot of connections that mm -hmm. thus have even greater connections uh, to work with.
And I know that the developers have lately done things like created discords for given projects, and that mm -hmm. kind of you know at least puts everybody in the same room, yeah. so to it's speak. A genius idea. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. <laughs> um, and then stuff like having multiple people from any given background at the company as well helps. I know the editing department is a very queer-heavy department. <laughs> it's great, um, and that means that even if we don't all necessarily have the same um, background in that, like mm -hmm. my response as a queer person may be different from somebody else's response as a queer mm -hmm. person, that's fine. Right. Um, so even if you can't have multiple people working on something at once, you can have, you can remember what um, somebody told you on, a, on project number five, keep a good log of that. And if you have a different person uh, for the same issue or background on project number six, you can compare that together. We can um, like grow our knowledge, and if we see that there's like a lot of different answers coming in, that's maybe a signal that this is something that you know to look at maybe in greater depth, or that may have a more complex range mm. of responses. Right, right. Yeah. So even if not at the same time, we can try and like layer it. Um, as someone who doesn't work for a seventy-person, <laughs> extremely diverse company. Um, I just recommend Twitter. <laughs> it's like the best mm -hmm. thing ever. <laughs> when it's like, hey, I need somebody, please help me. Um, that or just like looking into different guilds around your area. Like just Google, like like I did. I joined a black editor's guild, like rock on. So now I can talk to a bunch of other fellow black editors, which is amazing. <laughs> so. There are also good places to start are like well-regarded um, advocacy groups mm. or that kind of thing because um, – even I do not have the resources of something like the um, American Association for the uh, I forget exactly uh, what the name what of the organization is, yeah. is. But we we didn't really know how to approach an issue regarding deafness. So we were like, where's a good place to start? And it's like, what about the number the largest organization in America focused on these issues? I feel like they have a lot of resources <laughs> on this that I do not have. Let us start there. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, oftentimes with those organizations they might have a here are some good sources that you can go to to yeah. learn more. I know that like, if you just Google problems, like problematic and then a thing, you can get a wide range of things. You don't know who's written what, especially if it's a field that you're not familiar in, so it can be difficult for you to know like, sort of which resources you should value over others and what mm -hmm. the prioritization is. Starting with something that has um, like a reputable organization and then following their recommendations is mm -hmm. at least a good first start. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've also in doing this work realized doing the outreach is actually very easy to like if you go out there and genuinely are asking for for help for stuff like this people will, will come and help you uh, on that kind of stuff so searching for particular types of writers it's very easy and actually i i feel as a company it's probably better for us overall than hoping that someone will come by someday and be like, oh, look, this this person is black or whatever. Now we have a black author when I could have just <laughs> gone online and asked, hey, who, who who are some great authors who might want to work with, with us? And then it turns out that putting that out there makes it a lot easier for people who who've hadn't seen this kind of stuff reach out and... and and yeah, it, it, it's ask for things. Ask for things, and, <laughs> and you shall receive. Yeah. Um, I think you might I have, have a few more minutes. Yeah, uh, yeah, at least one more. Um, from Twitch, Angel Tarragon asks about transgender representation beyond the iconics. Yes, actually, we've. Uh, Me too, yeah. So yes. if you uh, are a fan of Pi Zone and been listening to you know panels and stuff like that for several years, you know there was a year when we were called out on that specifically. Mm -hmm. And 
so Wes Schneider, our former editor in chief, was like, "Oh no, <laughs> this is a big deal." Since then, we we uh, one of our former developers, Crystal Fraser, was very big on pushing towards that, and uh, we've had several characters show up as uh, NPCs in our adventures and adventure paths uh, to work as transgender representation. We have Shardra, our, our transgender uh, shaman iconic, who it's great. We love her. Uh, of course, we always have more spots that we can start filling things in. Um, as well as a Pathfinder Society scenario by yeah. Vanessa Hoskins. Woo! There you go. <laughs> so we, we've done, I feel, good work on getting more representation in. There's always more work always to be do done. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, uh, it, there are plenty of spaces you can find uh, such characters. Part of the, the issue with some of these characters being NPCs and stuff. There are a lot of things that GMs are the only ones that learn this because they're the ones reading the adventures. PC players don't typically read through adventures and find out, oh, turns out Erebeth's wife from Wrath of the Righteous is, is trans woman. Okay, cool. Uh, that doesn't come up unless your GM brings it up. So if you're someone who wants to see that kind of stuff, Ask us, of course, we're going to keep trying to, to put that in, but also talk to your, your GM or your fellow players. And it's very easy for your, a GM to tell you, oh, it turns out, yes, this character is trans, or actually decide that, you know what, this, this character might be better off as, as a trans character to, to just, you know, brighten the world a bit more. Right. And to toot my own horn again, I try to usually include a non binary or trans person in things that I write. So I'm like, <laughs> Yes, representation. <laughs> that, 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 that's such like a, a fake evil tackle. It's like, <laughs> even though I'm like doing good things. <laughs> it's like, so yeah, there's, <laughs> or trying to do good things. Well, the games are welcome to people. <laughs> yeah. You can always, for any given background character, there are people in the world for whom like being gay or being, uh, I guess like being Hawaiian or something is a really big part of their identity. And there's people for whom it is just one more thing about them. Uh, and it is maybe not the focus of their story, and I think that there is room for both. There are these kinds of people in the world. There should be, you know, there are uh, people like Shardra for whom, like, it's in her backstory. Yep. She's trans, and there are other people who show up as NPC bit characters, and it's like, this is um, this is the proprietor of the restaurant. He's trans. Or, or it even might be like a micro stat block, neutral, non-binary mm -hmm. shop owner. And, yeah. You know, stuff um, like that. Yeah. So I think just being able to throw those in as well just helps to show diversity, even if you don't have the space to mm -hmm. expound on somebody's entire backstory in, the, right. in that sort of <laughs> length. When looking at um, when looking at Pathfinder Society scenarios and the balance of characters, um, we look at the balance in sort of two broad categories of characters. We look at the balance in major characters, who are the big movers and shakers, and also the minor characters as well, to make sure that both of those categories are balanced within themselves rather than just doing a big overall count, because otherwise you can run into a situation where, say, yes, this scenario is, let's say, the scenario we're looking at a balanced gender. This scenario has a, a balanced gender profile, but then you look at, okay, but... But is, all of the female characters are but servants. all the female all characters the, are servants yeah. and all of the male characters are generals. No, you, you have not you yeah. have not gotten it. Um, yeah. You do not really truly have a, a diverse story in that case, mm -hmm. okay. considering the majors and the minors there. Mm -hmm. Sort of wandered a little bit from yeah. that question, but I hope that answers <laughs> I, I, it. I'm, uh, I'm sorry for the tangent, but yeah. it, Wrath of the really Righteous AP and Hell's Rebels AP for sure that I know. So there's a few plots already. So. Yeah. yeah. War for the Crown. War for the Crown. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I haven't yeah, read yeah. that, so mm -hmm. hey. Yeah. Yep. 
Great. Well, I think that's all the time okay. we really have for today. So right. thank, thank you, everybody. Thank you for coming. It's an important topic, and I know it can be. Thanks. All right, hello everybody. Hello everyone, this is the last panel. We just got done watching Diversity in Gaming and hear from the panel, and there's absolutely not Jim Butler from Paizo. I don't know what that's showing up there. I am James though. Uh, I'm James. James Case, I'm an editor. Mm -hmm. uh, we were just on the panel, thanks for tuning in. Thanks. So James, uh, I know that Paizo has always had a diversity panel. How do you think that that has evolved in the last few years, the representation at Paizo? Um, the representation uh, within Paizo is, I think that we have made an effort to, you know, try and improve the diversity in our staff, but I also think that as, and also as our departments have grown in size, that's also given us more different people in the room to, to consult with. I know the editing team is now the single largest maybe team at the company. We're like seven people. We've been up to nine at certain times. And what that means is that we have uh, more people to consult with. So if we ask a question, there's a greater chance that somebody there has experienced it or knows somebody who has. So I think it's only really increased our resources Excellent. who we can you know, kind of call on. And we saw a lot of that question coming through the panel that it was very important to find voices from those experiences. Um, how often does Paizo have to reach out beyond the company to get those voices? Um, we've done it sporadically. It's certainly not a thing we do on every product. Mm -hmm. It would be nice if we could. Uh, the reality of the publication deadline is that that's sometimes quite difficult. Um, I know there have been specific books in the past where we've known going into the book that this might be a thing that we will need to allocate people to, if not even for the entire book, for specific sections. I know um, there have been specific sections of certain books we've come up where we've maybe done like just the ethnicities section of an upcoming book. We maybe don't need to hire a diversity consultant for the entire book. Uh, maybe the spells are probably fine, for instance. But certainly where we know it's coming up ahead of time, we can take a look at that. And I know uh, we recently reviewed the second edition core rulebook on the show, mm -hmm. and one of the first things we did know was how much more diverse almost all the representate all of the representative of characters were in that book. How much of a conscious decision was that? Uh, that was a pretty conscious decision. Um, you know, ten years have passed since the first book to second edition, and one of the nice things is we can update not just the rules and that sort of thing and the design of the game, but we can also change or update the art and that kind of thing going in and the gender balance is something that we've talked about as having gotten a lot better as the company has gotten has gotten larger and as have we've sort of had a chance to get more people in the room. So it was a very conscious decision, um, both in, for instance, even use of the word ancestry instead of race was a thing mm -hmm. we looked at and we because we all just had gotten very used to the idea of race. It's what every game has called, you know, your elves and your dwarves since the dawn of time, as far mm -hmm. as we can consider. So we were, for that specific one, we were looking for a thing that would communicate the concept, but also include elements of heritage and culture, and maybe not just boil it down to just the word race. So. Now, I'm curious, does, is it easier or harder to represent more diverse backgrounds in Starfinder where human... <laughs> Uh, where humans in general are decentralized and so many of the characters we meet are completely alien. Yeah, um, certainly we have that even in Pathfinder where a lot of the uh, a lot of the ancestries are very human, but you know, you get into Starfinder and you have 
jellyfish and mm-hmm. and centipede people and all this kind of thing. Um, I think in terms of maybe just the art on the page, it can be difficult when the diversities of the characters do not clearly map to sort of human skin tones or that sort of thing. Um, but what we can do is show diversity within the race and lean on other parts of it. Um, for instance, we have you know, our iconic operative, SF, is, you know, uses they, them pronouns. Right. It's a thing we can put in there. Uh, and we can also use sort of sci-fi is great in that you can kind of use all these really, um, all these really interesting and really alien in the literal sense of the word right. um, analogs to observe things. I know the Maracoy have seven genders. Right. Uh, why? Because they do. We We don't have to... In a way, uh, Starfinder kind of frees us from a lot of the ideas of everything has to equate really one-on-one with humans. Mm-hmm. And so that gives us an interesting lens to sort of look at gender in a like very different context. So that's kind of a cool freedom that Starfinder gives us. Now, for some of our audience members or mm-hmm. and some of our fans out there that may feel like they don't have an obvious or haven't traditionally had an obvious representation inside products, what books or products should they look forward to that Paz will be releasing soon? Um, I think that, uh, as Luis was saying, the Lost Omens character guide, since that's mm-hmm. the one that focuses on you, the character, mm-hmm. uh, is maybe is what I think is the best thing coming up soon. Uh, I know they made a very conscious decision to have, as we were talking about diversity, not just within the human ancestries, but diversity of like your gnomes and your dwarves and your elves and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And so that's coming up. And that, uh, as well as... I think in the Pathfinder APs coming up, we uh, bounce all over Galarian as part of the AP, and so we go to some cool places. There's one that takes place in the Mongi Expanse. That's really cool. I would say the character guide, for sure. Well, that's going to wrap us up for the day. Thank you again, James, for coming back here. Right. Well, thanks for uh, helping us do all of this, too. And thank you for, for tuning in and coming to the panel. This will end it for the day. We will be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. to do another full day. And, of course, tomorrow is when the big panel is going to hit the 2019 and beyond panel tomorrow at 4. You are not going to want to miss that. By the way, all the times I use are Eastern because we're in Indianapolis where it is an Eastern time zone. So map that appropriately to the correct time zone that uh, is, of course, where you is. And so until next time, I'm Param signing off. Bye. And that was part of No Direction's 2019 Gen Con seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. If you'd like to find more great content like this, go to NoDirectionPodcast.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters for making content like this possible. If you'd like to support the network and see that future content is created, you can do so at Patreon.com slash NoDirection. Or click on the Patreon link at NoDirectionPodcast.com.